0: How's everybody? Good? Good. Awesome. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 today. If you want to find your way there in your Bible or on your tablet or however you choose to get there, that would be great. Um, We've just started walking through the book of Romans, and so today we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8, and I think we're going to make it all the way to verse 16. That's kind of my hope. Uh, The next part of Romans chapter 1 is really not fun, and so I want to invite you back for next Sunday because it would be kind of a difficult difficult text, but it's okay. Uh, The Bible is written to help us, and so I'm sure uh, we'll learn some things next week as well. Hopefully you'll learn some stuff this week. In 1926, a fellow by the name of Dale Carnegie wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It sold 30 million copies. And so I read that and I'm like, okay, well, I don't know if that's good or not. They were acting like that's a lot. 30 million is a lot. Um, So I thought, I'll just see how, um, what the I'll gauge the intelligence of this particular audience. Um, And I know you'll do well, I have no doubts. Uh, Would you like to venture a guess as to, now apart from the Bible, the Bible is the best selling book of all time, but... English translation or English uh, books, b- books written in English, um, would you like to venture a guess as to like the top two or three? I mean, I, I've got the top five. If you say it, I will, I'll give you credit. Anybody want to guess at what one of the top five might be? <laughs> That's too many. Uh, one of the, who said Harry Potter is in there? Um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone sold 120 million copies. It's the second-highest-selling second book of all time. Uh, she, J.K. Rawlings wrote seven books that have sold 65 million or more. It's unbelievable. Uh, who said The Lord of the Rings? Is that it's like a trilogy of something? Is that part of The Hobbit? All right, The Hobbit is number four. Very good. Shakespeare is not in the list. <laughs> But you're not, you're not wrong. You're just not on the list, Paula. Uh, so it's okay. It's okay. One of these I'd never heard of. Two of these I'd never heard of. Uh, Agatha Christie wrote a book called And Then There Were None. Y'all know that book? <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, and uh, there's a book by a guy named H. Ryder Haggard. He sold 83 million copies of She, A History of Adventure. Does anybody know that one? Yeah, nor I. Uh, The number one selling book of all time, English book of all time, is A Tale of Two Cities by little Chucky Dickens. Two hundred million copies. Two hundred million. That's the one that begins, it was the worst of times, it was the best of times. Um, It's a story about uh, a city and then another city. Uh, So if you ever want to read it, that's the thing. Has anybody read Tale of Two Cities? Just real quick. All right. Scott Garrison. There ain't no way. Uh... (laughs) Was it like was it like the animated version? I mean there is no way you read that. Was it good? I read it in the 11th grade. Okay, alright, yeah. You were made to read it. There you didn't like volunteer to read that. Okay. Everybody else I believed, but not him. Uh, so. We're really glad you're here today, and we're walking through this journey in Romans and Carnegie said uh, in his book, he said some really interesting things. We're going to throw a couple of quotes in today. We're going, to, we're going to focus on the Bible. But he said this, and I thought it was interesting. If you're not in the process of becoming the person you want to be, you are automatically engaged in becoming the person you don't want to be. And so Paul writes this letter to the book to the people of Rome. So Paul is an apostle, lives in the first century. He writes 13 of the letters that we have. Um, the letters are sometimes called epistles. You might see that word epistle. Uh, just for clarification, an epistle is not a wife, an, an apostle. So uh, it's confusing. An epistle is a letter. And there are 13 of them from Paul. And sometimes we think, okay, well, Romans was the first letter and then, you know, it goes in chronological order. Well, it's not in chronological order in your as they are listed in Scripture. Uh, a lot of scholars believe 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians were the first two he wrote. Uh, some scholars believe those are reversed. Actually, he may have written the one that we titled 2 Thessalonians first. It's not really relevant. Uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians were also early letters. And then he wrote Rome, He wrote Romans, and it's really, really long and kind of dense, and it's got a lot in there. And so we don't exactly know who, who planted the church in Rome. Like, how did it get there? We know Paul planted some churches. He planted a church in a town called Thessalonica. He, he planted a church in a town called Galatia and Colossae. And so we know those, but we don't exactly know who started the church in Rome. Now, I'm going to start an expression, and you're going to end it for me. You're gonna, this is a really easy game. All roads lead to Rome. Okay. So in Paul's time, there's this, uh, there's this intricate road system, and literally Rome was the hub of the world. It was, it was where everything happened. And all roads lead there, and so it's likely that uh, Christians from someplace else came into Rome and planted a church or started meeting together. And they didn't have a building like this. Uh, Romans didn't particularly like Christians. We're going to talk about that in a little more detail at the end. But they would often meet in the catacombs, which are caves under the city where they had dead bodies or the remains of dead people or bones stacked up. And so to be a Christian in Rome was really difficult And so Paul is saying, hey, uh, I I hear about you. So so look at what he's... First thing, this is how to impact people. You encourage them. So he says, let me say first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. We live in a world of negativity. I mean, everybody is negative. And it reminds me of that old comedy skit. The guy said... uh, uh, I've heard all the al- allegations, but what I want to know is who is, the, who is the alligator? And there's a lot of alligators out there. Uh, we're, we're getting sniped at, and there are critics for everything. There are movie critics and book critics and, and sports critics. And if you're a, a sports fan, oh my word, if you like your team, um, there are critics for every team, every sport. Everybody is sort of critical. And so Paul does something quite unique in that in this really difficult situation, he says, "Hey, I, I'm thankful for you guys." And one of the things we should probably begin doing is figuring out how can we become encouragers, because honestly, there are opportunities. You just have to look for them. I, I've started when I when I order something. Y'all, you, you some of you know this. I don't I don't eat cheese, and so I'll order like a, a quarter pounder. And for some reason, Mr. McDonald thinks everybody wants a piece of cheese on that. And so I have to order my quarter pounder without cheese. It's like going to Congress. I mean, it's like I'm trying to get a bill passed. Uh, Yeah, I don't want cheese. We were were talking about this the other day. Um, This last summer, we had the good pleasure of going to Europe, and we were in in, um, Italy. And I ordered a piece of pizza without cheese. And the Italian guy, I'm pretty sure he cussed me. He's uh, like, <laughs> I'm gonna about it. I don't know what he was saying. <laughs> so when somebody does something for you, I mean when I get my order right, I just I'm like, man, this is awesome. I don't always get my order right. Thank you for getting my order right. People need to be encouraged. Now Carnegie says something about this. You have it easily in your power to increase the sum total of this world's happiness right now. How? By giving a few words of sincere appreciation to someone who is lonely or discouraged. And so these these Christians are Christians in a very difficult place, and they're meeting in the catacombs, and there were Christians everywhere. And the Caesar was, it was Nero at the time, and he was really anti-Christian. But there were even Christians in Caesar's palace, not this one. And uh, there were Christians everywhere. And he says, look, I I congratulate you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. Now, that could be hyperbole, but think about it. If all roads lead to Rome, where do all roads also lead? Away from Rome, right? Right? And so the Christians in Rome, and it's a hard place to be a Christian, and you're not meeting in a nice church, you're meeting in the cave uh, amongst the bones. And so when, when they go someplace and they say something, that they have a reputation. And, and there's an old saying, the darker the night, the brighter the light. And I think there's something to be said for that. This is a very dark place to be a Christian, and so their lights, well, their reputation was was worldly i mean they was all over the world everybody knew about him the christians in rome were 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 famous everybody knew it and so we sort of think about or at least i did this week what what is the what is the reputation of our church well the reputation of our church is us if you if you're a partner here if you go here we are our represent we are the representatives of the church and and i was i mean I, i let me confess something to you when I was a younger pastor, I, I pastored a church in Michigan, and um, my girls all play sports, and I love sports, and I lo- I'm glad they played sports, and I would go to all these games, and I wasn't always the kindest person while in the stands speaking to the nice people who referee games. It's <laughs> as good as I could put it right there. as about as good as I could go. And I had a pastor friend of mine pull me aside one time. So we, I would meet with these group of pastors once a month, And he pulled me aside one time. He said, man, I need to talk to you for a second. It's like, okay. He pulled me aside and he said, some of my church members are going to the games and they tell me about you. And you're hurting the reputation of your church. And I yelled at him. "Uh, None of your business, buddy. No, I mean, listen, when somebody corrects you, I mean, he was right. He was 100% right. And so we are the reputation of the church. And so uh, just as these folks from Rome were going out and and their uh, their reputation was worldwide, well, everybody kind of knew. And everybody looks, and if they know that you're from here and you go here, then we are the reputation of our church. And Paul says the next thing. He says, I pray for you. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I pray for you. I bring you and your needs in prayer to God. And I suspect the reason they were so impactful is because Paul prayed for them. And I'm no guilt. Let's just I just want to ask a question. How often do we pray for our church? Because we should. And we can. And Paul was like, "Man, I do it night and day." You, you know, there was a rhythm in the Jewish mind to how often you prayed—morning, noon, and night—and we see it in Islam. They they have a call to prayer, morning, noon, and night. And so when Paul says, "I pray for you often," "I pray for you day and night," he's saying, "Look, there's a rhythm to how I think about you and when I pray for you." And I want to challenge us: Let's start to pray for our church because there's no telling what God would do. Pray pray for our unity we we are this is a remarkable a remarkably unified church. I love our church. I've been in churches where we argued about everything. One ply or two ply. I mean, it's like how can you argue about that? I mean, we would argue we would have business meetings and argue about stuff. Let's carpet the hall. No, let's carpet the windows. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And and this would be common. And so when you pray for our church, you pray for unity. We're, we're doing great, and it's awesome. But look, <laughs> there, there's a verse that says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And that should be who we are. Pray for your leaders. I covet your prayers. I need your prayers. I mean, I, I want them. If you'll pray for me every day, I, I, will, I, I just will appreciate that. And my mom, I know she prays for me. I've got godly uh, women around my life that pray for me. And, and so thank you if, you if that's one of you. But if, if you've not done that, and we all need it. Uh, I need your prayers. I know Ashley needs your prayers. We started Mother's Day out, and I know that's a, a cool thing. And, and uh, Josiah, look at him. Uh, he, he needs your prayers. Look how he wears to church. Uh, so he needs your prayers. I think it goes without saying, Chris needs your prayers. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. And so we, we covet that. And then we, we're going to pray that people come to know Jesus and that they feel welcomed and wanted here and that we're light in the community and that we grow deeper in our faith here. I mean, these are all things that we should do. And he, he, Paul is like, and by the way, I'm praying uh, now at last by God's will, a way may be open for me to come to you. Uh, not only do I want to encourage you from a distance, I want to be close. I want to come to Rome. And he, for some reason, had been prohibited. He really doesn't say why or how, but he'd been prohibited. And so he's, he's like, I'm, gonna, I'm praying that I can get there. And the other day I was at the hospital and I was kind of didn't know where I was. I was a little bit turned around and I couldn't figure out the room numbers. They didn't quite go the way I thought they should. And, and so I asked a nurse and they're super busy. And I said, could you, can you tell me where to go? I don't exactly know what room, you know, this room number is. And she said, I, I'll take you there. It's like, well, uh, okay. And she took me and it, it was a little confusing and it was kind of over and around. And, and I appreciate that. And Paul was saying, look, I want to come and be with you because I want to share my life with you. I long to see you so that I, I may impart uh, to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That, that, that is that you and I may mutually encourage, be encouraged by each other's faith. There is a reason I am a, I'm in small groups, in a small group. I like leading them because I learn. I like being in them because I learn. When you're around fellow people who are trying to get closer, be closer to the Lord, disciple, you know, be, be closer to Jesus, here's what I've discovered. Other people know things I don't know. Other people see things I don't see. Other people have had experiences I haven't had. And all of that helps me. Other people will challenge me in the way I think. I mean, you, I've been in church all my life. I, I don't ever remember not being in church. For, for, for decades I've been in church. And so it's good for somebody occasionally to challenge the way it's commonly thought. Now, I don't always change the way I think, but I like being challenged. And so Paul is like, hey, I'm going to come to you, and we're going to help each other. Carnegie had something to say about this, too. He said, every man I meet is my superior in some way. In that, I learn from him. We can learn from all the people around us. And when he says, I long to see you. The word literally means I am homesick to see you, and he had never been there before. Because we have gifts that we, God gives us gifts to share with one another. We, we compliment each other. And so just in life experience, and I've done some surveys and that sort of thing, my gifting is in the area of teaching, hospitality, generosity, leadership. Those are the things I, I feel like God has gifted me. Your gifting will be different than that. It might be the same, but it's likely to be different. And we complement one another. And if you've never done a survey, you can. This is a QR code. Uh, Lifeway uh, Resources has a a really good, we'll put this up at the end of the service, but you can do that thing now. I think you take a picture and it goes like, uh, and then it launches nuclear missiles. Uh, It's really cool. It's great. All right, so then it goes on. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come uh, to you. But I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I had among the other Gentiles. He had, he had wanted to be there. And then he, um, he uses these three I am statements. All right, so if, you're, uh, if you've ever been in the Bible much at all, you know the I am statements have this great authority. So Moses was, uh, was on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments, and, and God says, I want you to, you know, deliver my people. And Moses is like, well, who do I say is sending me? And God says, I am that I am has sent you, which doesn't make any sense. That, that, that's not a name. I mean, he, I think Moses was looking for like Fred. Uh, Fred is sending me. they're like, no, I am that I am. And then Jesus uses I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the the gate. And so he uses this. And so when Jesus used it, everybody knew to think about, oh, that's what God said to Moses. So here's Paul, and he uses these I am statements. And look what he says. I'm obligated. I am obligated both to the Greek and non-Greek, both to the wise and the foolish. And what he's saying is there are different kinds of people, and everybody needs to hear the gospel. Whether they're uh, educated, sophisticated, it doesn't not educated, not sophisticated, they all need the gospel. He's, He's obligated, and he's eager. That is why I am so eager to preach. The gospel also to you who are in Rome. And you can be obligated and not be eager. Let's take taxes, for example. You're obligated. How many of us are eager? No, Nobody's eager. But Paul is like, look, the gospel is awesome, and I'm obligated to tell you, but it's more than an obligation. I'm eager to tell you. Because I've been in school and there'd be an assignment and I have to do it and I don't want to do it. And then sometimes in life there are things that I'm obligated to do and that I like to do. So um, as a husband, I'm obligated to occasionally watch a chick flick. I'm obligated. Only obligated. Uh, okay. Uh, put the toilet seat down. I'm obligated and I'm eager. I don't mind that one. Take the rough housing outside. Mm. Obligated. Uh, Bathe with some measure of frequency. Yeah, I'm, I'm obligated. And I'm eager. I'm okay with that. Not embarrass my wife. Mm. <laughs> Only obligated. Now, uh, you could be obligated and eager. And then he says one more. He says one more. I'm unashamed. All right. <laughs> Let me set this up for you in just a second. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So he just said, you know, the the Greek and the non-Greek, the educated and the uneducated, the Jews and the Gentiles. Everybody is capable of finding Christ. I am not ashamed. He's like, all right, I, I really want to do this. And there are reasons why he wasn't ashamed. Let me give you just two. Well, salvation Because it is the power of God that brings salvation. So Paul knew something. Rome understood power. The Roman Empire was was vast. I mean, they would they were everywhere. And they took over, they, they were just like the blob. They would just go in and they would annihilate people, and now you're Rome. And they would go to this continent or this country, and they would, they would conquer, and, they, and then you're Rome. And wherever they went was Rome, and they, their, their, their reach was unbelievable. And the Roman Empire was huge. And so when Paul says something about power, well, all of Rome understood power. The word literally is dunamis, the Greek word is dunamis, from which we get dynamite. And this is what I know about dynamite. I've not been around it much, but when you light it, something's going to happen. Right? When dynamite is lit, something's going to happen. And Paul was saying, look, I'm coming and I'm going to help share the the good news and I'm not ashamed of it. And then he says, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. He's not talking about priorities. He's talking about um, chronology. That's kind of how it worked. Now, why is salvation so important? I I was reading this week and I'm like, oh, that's really good. I, I read something I thought was really good. There are kind of three tenses of salvation. There's a a past tense, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. And so, I'm a sinner, I needed, uh, you know, sin separates me from God. It separates me from God now. And if I die in my sin, it will separate me from God into eternity. Uh, The word is used in Scripture as hell. There are really negative uh, language around the hell you're, you're apart from God, the lake of fire, a lot of negatives. There's no good uh, language around hell. It's always bad. So um, I have been saved. It's kind of something that happened for me years ago. I am being saved from the power of sin today. So I'm, I'm not sinless, but I sin less. Does that make sense? I, I still sin, but I sin less. I mean, uh, God is creating me in me a, a new person And so I I don't sin as much as I used to. And so there's a a past tense, I've been saved from the penalty. Uh, There's a present tense, I've been saved from the power. And there's a future sense, I've been saved, I will be saved from the presence of sin. There's coming a time when we won't ever be around sin again. Uh, Heaven, there's no sin. And theologians put these big words on it. I'm going to introduce you to them, but you don't have to know them. But the whole idea of being saved from the penalty of sin, well, that's called justification. And being saved from the power of sin, that's called sanctification. And being saved from the presence of sin, that's called glorification. And Paul is like, hey man, I want to come to Rome and I want to share the gospel and I'm not ashamed, even though it's really dangerous. But Rome was rome was the greatest city in the world and like there were no there's like no second really i mean it was the hub it was where everything happened and in the world today there are a lot of great cities you know paris new york dubai gaffney uh great great places that's fats uh right there fats uh in gaffney um well, back in the day, in, in Paul's day, it was Rome. I mean, that, that, was, that was it. And when he says this, when he says, I am not ashamed, we go, well, why would you be ashamed? Okay, well, I'll tell you why. We live in America. We have freedom of religion. We can come to church on Sunday and Wednesday and Monday and Saturday and whatever day we want to We can say what we want, we can post what we want, we have freedom. So the Roman Empire really, really got sort of sideways with Christianity for two reasons. The the Romans believed in lots of gods. They had a a big uh, temple called the Pantheon and there were lots of little niches and in all these niches there were different gods. They had a god for every day. They had a god for every month. They had a god for every celebration. They had a god for the harvest. They had a god for, you know, rain. They had a god for this. They had a god for that. And so when Christians showed up, they said, sure, just, just be part of the Pantheon. Think of it like this. They have a they have a big religious stew. And they, they were like, hey, just throw, just throw Christianity in the stew. What's stew? Carrots, potatoes, beef, celery, I mean, whatever you put in there. You can put anything in stew. Well, they were like, okay, well, you just put your religion in with us. And you, you know, Christians aren't going to do that. So they're like, we don't, that's not how we do that. And so they were accused, interestingly enough, of atheism. You don't believe in God's stew. So you're atheists. So they were persecuted for that. The other thing they were persecuted for was cannibalism. Because Jesus said, Unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you will not be part of me. And they took that literally. And when Jesus means it figuratively, they took it literally. And they were like, Okay, well, we're going to persecute these people because they're cannibals. So when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In Kentucky vernacular, he's saying, I ain't scared. I ain't scared. I'm going to come up there. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm going to come up there and say it, man. That's why he's like, you know, it's like. He has his, like, bow in the back of his pickup truck. Uh, so he, you know, he's, he's coming up. He, I, I ain't scared. It's what he's saying. I, I'm not scared because the power of the gospel brings salvation to everyone, and everyone needs to know. So salvation is why we want to influence people. It's one reason. And the other reason is this. It's called righteousness. I'll define it in just a second. For the gospel is the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, written, the righteous will live by faith. Righteousness simply means I am right in my relationship with God. Now, the Bible talks a lot about righteousness. Let's look at a couple things. It's unattainable, humanly speaking. Uh, Isaiah We are all dirty with sin. Even our good works are not pure. They are like filthy rags. We are all like dead leaves. (laughs) That's perfect for this time of year. Uh, Our sins have carried us away like the wind. And he's saying, look, we we can't save ourselves. And even good deeds. He says, even our good works are not pure. And you could do good things for the wrong reason. I, I mean... I could, um, uh, divorced couples sometimes seek custody so they'll get more alimony. One of the persons will get more alimony. Or uh, you'll see somebody at work, they'll volunteer, hoping that the boss sees them so they can have a promotion. It's a good deed, it's just not done with the right motive. Good deeds don't always equal right motives. Or you're at high school and you notice one of, uh, uh, you're, you're a boy and you notice one of the girls has a flat tire and you volunteer to, to change her tire for her. We all know what you want. Uh, we all know what's going on there. You ain't doing that out of the you know, goodness of your heart. You, you want a date or you want you know, so, some, some, uh, some acc- uh, acclaim. I mean, you, you want something for that. And so he's saying, look, even our good deeds aren't always good. And, and then there's a, Jeremiah said, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard change his spots? This was before Michael Jackson. Uh, but he's saying... That's funny. I don't care who you are. Uh, (laughs) Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Look, we have this thing called a sin nature. And we can't do it ourselves. So when I was 40 years old, I had a heart attack. Uh, There was blockage in my left descending blah, blah, blah. I don't know, some artery. Um, And so... Uh, I had a doctor, his name was Dr. Maddox, and uh, he took a probe through my groin, and he went up and he put, he inserted three stints. I'm stinted in my left-descending cruciate artery. Is that right? That's not even close. Whatever. Uh, it's, some, it's some artery in there. Now, I'm pretty good at do-it-yourself stuff. And so if that ever happens again, I'm thinking... Uh, you can buy those little bee straws and um, some flex tubes, tubing, uh, and I could probably just do it myself. And, and you say, <laughs> You're dumber than we thought, uh, which is what you would say to that, because that's really dumb. I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I could watch the YouTube, I'm sure there's a YouTube on that. I, I could probably figure it out. I still don't want to do it myself because. That wouldn't be smart but but if if the foremost surgeon heart surgeon on the planet had blockage he wouldn't do it himself either there are some things you can't take care of yourself and getting right with God is one of those so God offers us righteousness as a gift for God made, us, made God, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We swapped our sin for His uh, sinlessness. I get to claim His sin, which is uh, His sinlessness, which is amazing. Uh, we traded, we swapped. I'm sinful, Jesus is sinless, we swapped. I got His sinlessness. It's a gift. It makes me right with God. I read the story about this guy. His name is Kyle McDonald. You may have heard of him. He was out of work. He lived in Canada. He decided he was gonna do that, he was gonna play that game, kids play it, called Bigger Better. That's where you take something from your house and you go to your neighbor and you try to trade for something bigger or better. He did this. He traded that red paper clip for that house. 14 trades. I'm gonna read them to you. They're amazing. He traded the paperclip for a fish-shaped pen, which he traded for a handmade doorknob, before trading it for a camping stove, which he traded for a generator, which he traded for a keg of beer and a neon sign, which he traded for a snowmobile, which he traded for a trip to Yak in British Columbia, which he traded for a box truck, which he traded for a music recording contract, which he traded for a year's rent in Arizona, which he traded for one afternoon with the rock band Alice Cooper. (laughs) which is worth nothing. Um, Which he traded for a motorized snow globe. And it's like, okay, well, that doesn't seem like a good trade. It was a rare edition, and it was uh, Kiss, the rock band. It was a Kiss snow globe, which he traded, he swapped to... um, Uh, a a Globe fanatic named uh, Corbin Burnson, who's an actor. Uh, So he traded the Snow Globe for a role in a Hollywood film, which he traded for a two-story farmhouse. He's on TED Talk. You should listen to that. It's really kind of interesting. Now, as awesome as it is to trade a paperclip for a house, much more awesome, awesomer, is trading your sin for eternal life. <laughs> I mean, that pales. That's cool. But I was able to trade my sin for eternal life. The best trade ever. And the thing is, it's the best trade ever, and we can all do it. Which leads me to this it's a gift, but you have to accept the gift. I no longer count on my own righteousness. Paul says, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I have to believe. I just have to believe. There's a website that the the government uh, runs, and it is a website for unclaimed um, government money. So maybe you overpaid in taxes, or maybe your great-granddaddy... Had something and they sold it. And so there's money out there and they want to give it to you, but you have to claim it. Unclaimed money. So I got on there last night. <laughs> I was amped. I'm like, I knew this was going to be my illustration. I was hoping to come in and say, um, I, I'll be making a big donation to church. Well, here's my announcement I'll be your pastor for several more years. Uh, no money for me. Nothing for me. But the the whole point is, that's there for you if you ask for it. You have to to ask for it. Well, salvation is there for you, but you have to ask for it. And then if you ask for it, it leads to right living. There's a way that we respond, we act, when Christ comes into our lives. And I'll end with one more Carnegie quote, because I think it's great. Knowledge isn't power until it's applied. And I can tell you all about Jesus, and I can tell you about all He's done for us, and I can tell you about the offer that's on the table. The offer is, He will take your sin away if you'll just confess it and give it to Him. That's the offer on the table. And you know it now, but knowledge isn't power until it's applied. You know it, but it's not power until it's applied. Let's pray. Father, thank You. For the gift that you've offered to all of us Greek, non Greek, Jew, Gentile, educated, uneducated, smart, not so smart, educated beyond measure, uh, dropouts, red, yellow, black, white, rich, poor. This offer that you made to us of eternal life, if we just have faith. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you would prompt us and pull us toward you. That we would know you better. That we would accept the gift that you are offering to us, if we've not done that already. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.